Welcome to the State of Fem Art Podcast, a space where we drive conversations around what it means to be woman creatively and artistically in today's industry. A place where women from various walks of life share their experiences, triumphs, and obstacles as they navigate the state of the world and their creativity. This is a safe space. One where women are celebrated for being fearlessly and unapologetically them. It is a space of belonging for those who feel their artistic and creative endeavors have gone unseen, unheard, or unsupported. But here you will also get resources and tools to help you reach your next level. We'll laugh together, cry together, but more importantly, we'll grow together. I am Tamia Faulkner, and this is The State of Fem Art. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The State of Fem Art podcast. Today's guest I am very excited about because the mission, vision, and values of this tech company truly align with why we created The State of Fem Art in the first place. I am talking with the co-founder and CEO of Side Door, Laura, how are you? Oh, I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. I wouldn't have it any other way. I got to check out Side Door and how your focus is decentralizing and creating an ecosystem where artists are put at the forefront and center of receiving profits, honestly, for for the work that they do. And so I'm really excited to find out more about your journeys. How did you get started in the arts industry? Uh, Well, the question probably I get asked the most is if I'm an artist myself and I'm not, I mean, I would never like consider myself an artist uh, in terms of the artists that we support. Um, But I've just kind of been a music groupie my whole life. Like since I was a kid, I would go to all ages gigs and that sort of thing. So I got my first uh, gig in the music industry, taking live music photographs um and you know for album art and other things and then I did a bit of journalism in the music scene and then I kind of took a left turn and went really into journalism for a long time um but then came back to music and worked at a nonprofit that basically helped artists do the music thing and like the business side of it and I um for a long time worked as a funding program officer which just meant I had a fund in order to give out um grants because I live in Canada and that's what we do here (laughs) Um, to artists in need. And what I kept seeing over and over was the live touring uh, dynamic was really, really tough. So yeah, the, the start in music was all in and around supporting, defending, figuring out what was wrong with the music industry. When was it that you found was that the moment, the exact moment, or maybe a catalyst or or something that happened where you said, okay, the music industry is jacked up. (laughs) There are things that need to be fixed and need to be considered. And I am going to be the one to take on that charge. Yeah, there was an exact moment. Um, I've been hosting shows in my own house since 2011. And we did like a seven band mini festival at my place in the backyard. And we had like a hundred people and all the neighbors came and we had people coming off the streets and tours and stuff like that. And uh, it went off. It was the end of the night and it went off without a hitch. We had like a big 
barbecue and everything. And I remember sitting at the back of the backyard and just thinking like, this is all I want to do. This is, this was so great for everybody involved. The artists are walking away with great money they made so many connections. The audience is really happy. And that was the moment where I was like, let's do this. Let's just make this happen times a million. And and that's where I really wanted to focus is that kind of show. First of all, bold move for having strangers and tourists <laughs> to walk up to your home and, and to enjoy the performances. But I think to your point, there is just this innate love for music. And I don't think that music is only appreciated by those who are artists but as you mentioned you yourself being like a music groupie there are people who just love art they love performing arts and they want to experience that i heard in i heard an interview that you did with women in media where you spoke about being a woman in tech especially being the co-founder and ceo of a tech startup what has that journey been like for you when it comes to side door and some of the rooms that you have to be in? Do you find it is difficult to, to navigate? Do you find there are some misconceptions that you've come up against as you continue to grow and expand side door? Uh, well, it's funny. I mean, because people do think that I'm Dan's wife and think that we're, you know, partners in life as well as in business. But, you know, actually we didn't meet until we knew that there was a mutual friend who introduced us. who's like, oh, you're working on the same idea. You guys should collaborate. And so we, we met on the basis of making this project together. Um, and so often when we're together in a room pitching or something like that, there will be like more sort of people kind of turn towards him as, you know, like you're the one who's speaking for the company, um, which is frustrating when you're the CEO. Um, the other thing is like the, the music and tech industries are definitely male dominated. Now I would say like that kind of thing's never really intimidated me. Like I've definitely, I mean, I was the kid who was playing basketball with all the boys from day one, you know, like I, there was not, I was not afraid of walking into those kinds of rooms at all. Um, but I do still find that you have to overcome some like, you know, stereotypes or assumptions or whatever. And so I might have to make it a little bit more clear of, you know, this is the expertise I bring to the room. This is what I'm responsible for, for the company. Um, those questions can be directed at me and not in a like you jerk kind of way, but just like um, kind of a <laughs> redirection, you know, I, fi I find that that's needed sometimes. So there are, so many women, especially in the performance art space, but also in male-dominated industries who do come against those barriers as far as really allowing their voice to be heard within a room, especially when they're in a male-dominated space. What advice would you have for those who are developing their confidence, whether it's speaking to a tech project they're doing, whether they're a woman in architecture, or whether they're a performing artist who is trying to get their music heard or their projects funded? What advice could you give from your own experience that might help them to to level up in, in confidence and remember that they do belong in the room. Yeah, I mean, it's tough. Like, 
I think imposter syndrome is still pretty rampant and I feel it too still. Like I think somebody asked me the other day, like, what are your greatest accomplishments so far this year? And I was just like, oh, you know, it's, we're not doing anything that big. And then I was like, wait a second, that's the wrong response. Yeah. Like you kind of, <laughs> you, you need to compete for airspace in a lot of ways. So, I mean, in order to get the confidence to kind of do that and take up space and take up, um, you know, just like the conversation, often I find it's helpful to center the project that you're working on or the company that you're working on or whatever you're representing. It's a little bit easier to focus on that than to think about yourself as like this vulnerable human in this room or in this world doing a thing. So if you kind of take the focus off of yourself and put it onto the thing that you're proud of, that you're working on, that helps with the confidence level. I think the other thing is that, you know, I, I think whenever I worry about that, if I acknowledge that something if you, you know you can feel it when something's happening and so if you acknowledge it and you slow down your thoughts a little bit and just be like i am acknowledging this this is happening i'm going to redirect refocus on the project and i'm not going to feed the beast like i'm not a pushover like i'm not going to let it slide if somebody really is doing something egregious but i am going to redirect on something that i'm i think is important right you know so it's like how do you stay in control of the situation so that it's not, you're not bowled over by, you know, somebody who's just being a jackass, really? I love the idea of redirection because a lot of the times I find myself even in conversations where when I feel imposter syndrome kick in, for some reason, I might feel the need to speed up or rush through my process and really thinking through or grounding myself in my core beliefs or the reason why I started my company and my my various ventures. And I'm like, wait a minute. No, take your time. <laughs> why are you allowing, you know, um, the pressure to perform or the lack of uh, confidence or imposter syndrome to kick in and make you forget why you're here in the first place and what you're truly fighting for. And one thing that I love that you said is when you were at home in the backyard, having a festival in your home um, for performing artists, you said this is something that you wanted to do for the rest of your life. And I think that passion, of course, continues to drive us forward. But I am pretty sure there have been moments going through this journey and developing your company and just developing um, the even working with the different performing artists where you probably have felt like you are driving fast and you don't know what's next, especially because entrepreneurship ebbs and flows like there are so many highs and lows throughout the journey. What has been a moment or when was a moment where you felt the fear and you did it anyway? Oh, my God. So many times. I mean, we always talk about building the plane as you're flying off the cliff, like building it around you so that you don't crash. <laughs> That's what it feels like. Um, and we do it all the time. Like when the pandemic hit and they locked down. Um, we canceled so many shows that we had planned. We had a big partnership set up with South by Southwest and um, 
I remember they made the announcement and we just, we were all out as a staff and, and uh, our booking manager and I just went back to the office and started canceling shows. It was so depressing. But, you know, at those times, like the feeling is just like, you have to, I mean, you mentioned about the thing that the passion and, and that's what I hang my hat on. Like, it's just, it's the thing that keeps me coming back and doing the thing every single day, even when it's hard is like, I really care about the mission here. And so in those moments, I was able to sort of like, like 10 days after the lockdown, we basically came back and started doing online shows instead of in-person shows. And we were one of the quickest to pivot. And so much so that, you know, when Billboard was like, here's who to turn to for live streaming, we were one of the companies mentioned. And so that was really a proud moment of something like could have been disastrous. We could have died in that moment. Um, But we had to figure out, you know, what is what is the route we have to take, Nick, right now? Like, what is the next step that's going to, you know, not only help us survive, but like stick to the mission? Why did you feel it was so important to build an artist's first um, I, company? Because when I think about Side Door, when I read um, your mission about the company, there really is an artist first ethos. and were there, I want to know, were there any encounters? Because I know you mentioned, you know, being out on the road, just enjoying festivals and shows, but were there ever encounters with artists that made you remember why it was so important to have that artist first ethos? Was there an experience that you had? Because you mentioned that you weren't a performing artist yourself. And so to see the compassion and the understanding that is available to those artists who are trying to make a living and don't want to necessarily be starving artists and are trying to find the balance between doing what they love and pursuing it full time and making it a career, but also having to work to survive. And so can you speak to why you felt it was important to really have that artist um, first ethos within the company. Yeah, absolutely. We, I mean, yeah, I'm not an artist, but I am such a super fan and defender of artists because I kind of believe that we're all born artists and that the greatest thing humans can do is create. And I think that most of us have that beaten out of us, figuratively speaking. And, you know, when we're kids and it's like, you know, we're, we're sort of allowed to do art when we're kids and then it's just it becomes something that's not a desired skill or not something that's going to be profitable later on and um I think there's a real attitude in the world of like you want the art but you don't want to support the artist and I think it's akin to you know you want the education but you don't want to support the teacher you know you want the healthcare, but you don't want to support the nurses like there's a lot of extraction and consumption attitude in you know what we need or what we want um, but not honoring the people who are creating those things for us. And I really wanted to focus on artists because of, you know, the role I think that they play in the world is, um, for me, I believe it's, it's a necessity for us to understand the beauty and meaning of life to experience life through art. So how do we support the artists to continue to do that? Well, you know, they have to have a meaningful living so that they can survive. Um, 
And so that's a part of, you know, this, this world that I thought, okay, well, I can really zero in on that and help artists, you know, like get a little more money at every single gig. And that just contributes to their ability to carry on and make, you know, create better things and more interesting things that we can benefit from. So yeah, that's, that's definitely something that um, our mission has stayed true to for five years. Oftentimes I find <laughs> a lot of artists, especially um, for women artists, they are or become very frustrated with what they feel is gatekeeping on information. So when they think about how they can pursue their passions, how they can um, go on tour and really, again, make a living doing what they love, not having to worry about everything else that um, comes with that or the not knowing, as I would say. Um, you know, a lot of artists are still trying to figure it out. And so what advice would you give? And then also what resources can Side Door offer to artists who are um, trying to figure it out. They they want to perform more often. They're looking for ways to amp up their uh, visibility, amplify their work and, and profit. I think it's an ongoing, is this worth it question that artists ask themselves if they've got to the point of like, yeah, I'm going to give this a go as a full-time thing. Um, they're going to consistently ask, is this worth it? Because it's always going to be hard um, until you're at that 1% level of, you know, Beyonce or Billie Eilish or something, you know, it's always going to be hard. So I think the biggest thing is side door is trying to really give opportunities to get direct to fan experience where you're, you're doing live performances in really actually small, um, usually hundred cap or less rooms. Um, and that means that you're really engaged with that audience and you're probably going to meet a lot of them after that, sh after that event, you're really going to, you know, be able to, um, learn who they are and ask them to follow your, your newsletter or whatever, like you're, you're directly engaging with fans. And I think that's a huge building block that in, you know, the current TikTok world of artist development, um, you don't get that kind of direct engagement. It's sort of this, you know, you're sort of scraping the surface with like engaging with people in comments and stuff like that. But when you're face to face with them and you're presenting your art live, it's a different level. So, you know, you can't, even if you're super um, popular online and your music's really engaging and you're getting a lot of spins, you still need to get out on the stage at some point. And you're not going to go from, you know, like doing something online. Often you can't go from doing something online to going to open for a huge artist. So what the, what are the stepping stones? What are the what are the kind of stages you can play on? And this is something where you can self book. You can direct your own, you know, like where you want to play and who, what kind of audiences you want to find, you know, what environment is best for your performance, you know, where, where are you, where do you want to be? Um, that's the kind of thing that we want to facilitate with, you know, booking these small shows with Side Door. And we've had artists who are just emerging, but also artists who are established and, you know, in the middle of their careers, use it for different purposes because it's very self-driven. So that's what we really hope to do is that live, let the artist get direct to the fan and really understand what that experience can be like. 
And you also have hosting available too as well, correct? For those who may be music lovers and and want to be um, a host, are they able also to sign up for Side Door? Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, in the past we've been called um, like the Airbnb for live shows. So you can consider it like that. So there's hosts and there's uh, people who perform. So um, hosts can sign up whether you have your own you know, home that you want to offer or your backyard or a business, maybe you run a cafe or a brewery or something like that. Um, we have people who put up barns and parks and community centers. And basically, if you can look at a space and be like, yeah, there's about, you can fit about 20 people in here, you know, standing or sitting, you know, we'll take a look at it to see if it's a good fit as a, as a place to perform. And even some people who are in rural locations, they're like, oh, I'm too far away. Well, look, it's really hard sometimes for artists to drive from point A to point B with nothing in between. So if you can provide a gig that's on the way, some of those are most successful gigs is, you know, these really remote towns that have a great space to play. So, I mean, the other thing is that you can earn some coin doing this too. You can take split of the ticket sales. So it's not just about this philanthropic, like, we're going to help out these artists, which is a huge part of it. You can you know, be a curator of music, bring in some music to your community, you know, get to host a wonderful event and earn some money doing it. So for us, it's like a win-win in a way that the, the fans of music can really engage in a meaningful way. So for those who are defenders of artists, supporters, and fans, what do you feel can be done to continue to level the playing field within performing arts. Um, of course, there are disparities that still <laughs> exist um, when we look at uh, performing arts and, you know, we look at women artists who are getting the airplay or, you know, booking the shows or headlining festivals. And so what would you say is the work that still needs to be done within the space? It's still very much based on, um, like, I think if I think if the consumer, if the fans actually got a little better educated about what is happening in the music industry, they would be a little more discerning about, you know, how they discover music, and, you know, how they spend their money in music. And, you know, the more times where you can spend money where the most of that percentage is going to the artists, that's a really good thing to start with. Um, you know, thinking about how much music you may con consume, but you don't pay for, uh, or maybe you pay very little for, um, how do you, how do you kind of counteract that? What else can you offer if you're, if you're interested in supporting the creators of that music that you're listening to? Um, you know, it's, it's difficult when people kind of throw up their hands and are like, well, the system's broken and I can't fix it. There are really important ways that people can make a difference. I mean, there's policies in and around like providing copyright protection for people's creations. And, um, you know, there's, there's lots of different ways that as a fan, you can actually be super helpful to artists and creators and help protect their work and support them. And I think, you know, that's one of the ways that we're trying to do it is like, you know, like I say, open up your space and create um, an opportunity that they may not have had before. It's so interesting that you said that because going back to your comment about being in a consumption culture, I think oftentimes because we're so busy consuming all of the time, we can forget that there are ways to cons 
consume that actually can further support the artists that we say we love. Yeah, exactly. And it's not, you know, like the history of, if I just take like online streaming, for example, like the history of that began with people pirating music. Like it was actually the fans who were ripping music and then making it available on the internet. And that was what forced the hand, the music industry into go into, you know, partnership with Spotify and those, those companies. And um, so it was almost like this pirating culture of like, we're just going to get this for free that really, you know, destroyed the ability for people to sell records. But it doesn't mean that those people don't love that music any less. It's just about changing your understanding of like, okay, well, where do you think this comes from? And how much money or time do you think it takes to create this music? Like, we're, we're slowly like shutting down that ecosystem, that pipeline, that like, development time period by just like removing the ability for emerging artists to develop. So if you're interested in, you know, pursuing, um, helping people pursue creation and new art, then this is something that you should necessarily care about unless you're just like cool with listening to Elton John for the rest of your life and you don't want any new music. Like, (laughs) like this is something we should care about. Speaking of Elton John, who are are some of your favorite artists? Oh man, um, do you want to choose my? I know so many, okay. right? Um, you know, I shoot. I'm a huge fan of so many artists. Um, I think in terms of larger artists and maybe recognizable names, because honestly, mostly I spend my time in like the indie scene, going to see gigs around my town and stuff. Um, but in terms of larger artists, I'd probably, gosh, I think about, I think my top artist, my top artist that I spun this year, um, was the national, um, Kendrick Lamar, who else was on the list? Um, Frig. I, I think it was just like a real mix. I'm a I think I'd I'd be considered like a genre adventurer. Like I kind of go into all corners. Um Childish yeah. Gambino. Um who else released music this year? I'm just thinking about all the um Big Thief, um, some huge artists, but also some like more indie artists, uh Phoebe Bridgers, you know. Yeah, those are some. No, I I love being an adventurer, a genre adventurer, because I I think there's so much color to the music that's created and they serve different purposes for different times. Um, If you had to create a soundtrack for your life, what would some of the songs be on that soundtrack? You know, it's funny about that question is I used to have a radio show called Soundtrack of Our Lives where I would ask people. Oh, wow. <laughs> I would ask people like, okay, tell me the song that was your first dance or tell me the song that was like the moment you fell in love or whatever. Um, I have to I lo- pull up the archives. That sounds like <laughs> an entire vibe. I would want to know. I I still think about that show and how much fun it was to just talk to people about their memories of music. Um, yeah, soundtracks like... Well, look, I just bought tickets to go see Death Cab for Cutie and the Postal Service who are playing um, selected dates to celebrate their 20th anniversary of their albums that came out. The very nostalgic vibes for me that I was really hitting when I was just getting into the music industry. So I have a whole bunch of feelings around that. Um, And but also, you know, 
gosh, there's again, there's so many indie bands that I don't know would be known to your audience, but like they mark time for me. Like my first paid gig was um, doing a, an album cover for Joel Plaskett, who's like a pretty well-known artist in our area. Um, and so he would probably make the list. I, I guess like, you know, whenever I got, I also lived in Los Angeles for a period of time. I, you know, relevant to your podcast, I think is like, I, I had the rare opportunity to basically have a sabbatical from my life and left the kids for four months with my husband and lived in Los Angeles and mentored with a music company there. And all I did was like eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and go to gigs. And I have a playlist actually from that time period when I was in LA because I went to so many gigs. We um, definitely need the playlist. Because- I'll that playlist. I saw so many. I saw Lauren Hill in the Greek theater, I think. And I was it was like when she just came back and it was like mind blowing. <laughs> she was so good. I think everyone can relate to the PB and J life here in <laughs> Los Angeles. Like it's, I mean, it's very common, but I would love to, to actually hear that playlist because yeah, it, I think moments like that, you don't get so many opportunities, especially after like having children and, and going through, um, building your company at the same time of course you get busier and there's less time to sort of adventure and you know go around and have those opportunities to just hey let's come go to LA for four months I think that's that was awesome. such a gift yeah it was such a gift and and Los Angeles was such it treated me so well I met so many good people um man I still have great friends there and and Los Angeles was it is the crucible of the music industry there so like it was really important to spend some time yeah absolutely so what have you learned along the way within your journey that would be important for performing artists to know as they navigate the industry um I I think that it's like you know artists really have to to be a great artist, you have to be super vulnerable, but also protect yourself in so many ways. Like it's a really complex and it's a dichotomy, right? You're not, when you're performing or creating, you have to be so vulnerable. And when you're navigating the business, you have to be really careful because there's a lot of pariahs out there. Um, And so I think whenever I talk, and I still talk to artists, you know, on a regular basis who just give me a call and they ask me for advice and most of my direction comes down to like, what does your heart say? You know, what's good for you? Like, what's going to help you make the best art? You know, all of that kind of stuff really helps center what's important to the artist. And at the end of the day, most of the artists that I know anyway, are largely interested in making great art rather than like piles of money, right? So it's about finding people who support that, that vision. And so yeah, that's my advice is just like, stay true to yourself, stay true to the art. To date, are there any most memorable moments that you have, particularly with Side Door? Yeah, uh, we, the book, the first US show that we booked actually um, was an, a band called Broken Social Scene. And they were on tour with like two tour buses in the US and they had a day off in, I think, Idaho. And they're like, hey, because we knew them. And they're like, hey, do you have any venues in 
um, the U.S. And we're like, yeah, 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 sure. And then we didn't. We totally just started calling around in the place where they were at. We're like, we want to book a gig for Brooklyn Social Scene. <laughs> uh, we found this like goat farm slash skate park in some suburb of where they were outside of Boise. And uh, we booked the gig. We sold it. We had never sold tickets in another country. Like we were based in Canada, but like now about, you know, we have about 15% of our shows are in the U.S. But at the time it was, we've never sold a ticket outside of Canada. We're like, we don't know if this is going to work. Um, and it totally worked. We had, you know, a couple of issues, but I was like up all night managing tech support and stuff like that. And uh, it sold out immediately. I think it happened like two days later. And there's still video up on YouTube on our channel of those of that date. There was like a crazy sweaty bang in time. It was so great to see that show come together. And people were just like, that was the best show. Like this was still the best show. It's just like they showed up and just played a bunch of instruments that were laying around this place and they just got the bands involved. And that's the kind of show we love to create. It's just something in a unique space you never imagine it's going to happen there, maybe even, even in that region. And the artists and the audience just become one, like one huge, amazing creation together. And uh, yeah, those are the most memorable kinds of moments that I like to think about. That was definitely a building the plane around you. <laughs> oh, yeah. My type of moment. But also, I always say that there is nothing like live shows. Nothing, to me, nothing will beat a live show. Just that energy you get from the audience and the artists. And it's, there's nothing like it. There is nothing like it. You're right. And like, you, you're so, as an audience member, you're so much part of that performance, right? Like if you don't give back the way that they're given to you, or if you don't feel it, then it's not a great show. Like you, you kind of, you, you become part of the whole thing when everybody's on the same page. Yeah, absolutely. So Laura, what's next for you and Side Door and how can artists who are listening to the podcast, but fans who are also listening to the podcast support what you all are doing? Well, we are pushing a lot more into the U.S. lately, and so we're looking to develop more hosts and tour routes in the U.S., and we're doing a partnership right now um, working with artists who are booked to play South by Southwest as well as uh, Folk Alliance. Folk Alliance is held in Kansas City in February, and of course, South by is in Austin in March. Um, so if you're a if you're a showcasing artist for either one of those events, we're basically uh, giving a minimum guarantee of another $200 on top of the ticket split for anybody who books shows with us for January, February, March. Um, so I can send you the link for that. It's up on our website, sidedooraccess.com. Basically just trying to help make those shows more possible. Um, and so we'll be at a ton of U.S. events, including those two um, in the near future. Um, I will likely be back in LA very shortly too. And we often throw like host meetups or like artist meetups and we just try to like meet people in their spots. So people can just follow along in our socials or our newsletter to get some news. But um, yeah, we're really, you know, it's, it doesn't cost anything to use the platform. Side door just takes a cut of the ticket sales. Um, so we're in it to win it with the artists. So hopefully people just can go in there and kick the tires, see what it's about. Yeah. And I, I think when you go on there and you see the splits, aside from the the mission, aside from hearing Laura, who, Laura, you're just awesome. I think 
you know, people will really support it because as I mentioned before, there really is a artist first um, ethos that is apparent when you go to the website, but also in just speaking to you today. It's been such a pleasure, Laura, and I appreciate you for coming on the podcast. Uh, what's next for you and how how do you feel about just 2023 as far as artists who are preparing for next year and considering the trajectory of touring, of um, continuing to put their music out there, are there any trends on the rise that you feel they should be on the lookout for? Well, there's no question that, you know, touring has always been difficult and there's no question that costs increasing has been a major, major thing for folks to be careful of. It's so any way you can protect yourself and like pad um, your tour budget and before you leave, it's really, really important. Um, make sure you read the fine print of your contracts. Make sure that, you know, you you build in ways to cover yourself if something gets canceled, if somebody gets sick, if you, you know, whatever. It's it's about just like taking care of yourself. There's so many people canceling tours because of burnout right now. Like it's better off just to be really well prepared than to go out on the road and just find yourself in the middle of nowhere without, you know, enough money or, you know, feeling ill or something. So yeah, be prepared. <laughs> it's like the, what the forest uh, management um, lo- slogan, I guess. Um, but yeah, I would say 2023 is about like, Get back out there with caution. Take care of yourself. And um, yeah, use platforms like ours and others just to make sure that you're getting the most, uh, the biggest bang for your buck when you go out there. And we will be including those links so you all can check out Side Door. Laura, thank you again for being a guest on the State of Film Art podcast. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the State of Film Art podcast. You can catch new episodes bi-weekly on Thursdays. And make sure that you connect with us by following us on Instagram at SoFilmArt. And you can also visit our website and listen to past episodes at SoFilmArt.com.